Hey regulars, Charlie here. We all spend a lot of time thinking about what we eat, but what about what we drink? Well, our friends at Congan Water have an answer for you. When you call 800-494-8685 or visit Conwater, that's K-A-N-Water.com, you can learn more about the Congan Water machine and to check out their specials on air purifiers. Congan Water has been around for 50 years and has expanded into nine countries, which shows that they really do have the staying power to outlast all their competition. The Congan Water machine is the only real ionizer on the market. The rest, unfortunately, are nothing more than a mass produced water filter. While Kangen water is great for hydration, you can use it for all sorts of other health benefits, whether that be reducing acid reflux, migraine headaches, joint aches and pains, low energy, gout, and even muscle pain. Its antioxidants neutralize free radicals in your body and keep your immune system strong, while its alkaline properties balance the pH level of your body and keeps you healthy. If you drink a lot of energy drinks and have a very acidic diet, Kangen water is a must. You can even use the water for weight loss. There are weight loss plans that rely on Kangen's alkaline water exclusively, but even without a plan, the water will help help you lose weight. So if you're interested in improving your health and boosting your hydration, call 800-494-8685 or visit conwater.com. That's K-A-N-Water.com to learn all about the Kangen Water Machine and to check out their specials on air purifiers. Again, these deals will not last, so be sure to call and let them know that the regular Joe Show team sent you. Fighting for truth, justice, and the American way. Without the cape, we're the superpowers. Not even a sidekick. Heck, we don't even have fancy gadgets. This is just Joe and his trusty microphone. Made in the USA. This is the regular Joe Show. Well, hello there and welcome and a happy Tuesday to all. Joe Giganti, your regular Joe, kicking off hour number one of the regular Joe show. Much to get into today. We continue to see the fallout of a country that is in a controlled decline, courtesy of the progressive left mixed with the status quo center right. It is hard. We can watch it. We can sit there and say it's happening. Or we can do what it takes to change, be the agent of change, turn things around. That's what we get together to talk about each and every day. As we talk about these stories and we kind of pick them apart, the purpose isn't just to lament, it's to figure out how can we be the difference. It takes all hands on deck, time, talent, and treasure in the next 259 days to make a difference, whether it's at the most local level possible, such as your congressional district, or on the national level, for president, vice president, your gubernatorial races, senate races, city council races, school board races, every single one of them is important, and every single one of them is going to rely upon you to be the one that makes the difference. We'll get into that a little bit today. Plus, of course, your input as always, because it's a big day for Hickey Nailey, maybe, Uh, But before we get there, it is seven minutes after the hour, which means right now in Taiwan, it is 10.07 p.m. In Zimbabwe, it is 4.07 p.m. And in Lake Tahoe, where everybody rents a small little multi-million dollar mansion for vacation, like the Bidens, it is 6.07 a.m. That is your new and improved Biden Crime Family Time Check TM. The regular Joe Show brought to you as it always is at the top of each and every broadcast hour to ensure one can't possibly claim ignorance that somehow they were unaware 
of the reality of the crooked as a rat's hind leg that the Biden crime family truly is. Those just a few, in this case, a trio of the locales that they deviate, do business as, trading influence for money at your and my expense. It's good to know. Share the wealth of information. Well, hello, welcome. As I said, it is Joe Gigan to your regular Joe. You can be a part of it. Always enjoy the comments, the emails, text messages, phone calls. 888-737-1737. That's the, the number to call or text emails to joe at regjoeshow.com. Joe at regjoeshow.com. Now, just so you know, the website, of course, is also regjoeshow.com, regjoeshow.com. A couple quick reminders. Today is, well, it's primary day in in a couple places, but here in our home state of Wisconsin, where they feel like the, the right answer is to have as many primaries in general elections in one year, as possible, as opposed to having one primary day and one general election day, it is the spring elections primary day. And there are some very important primaries going on, city councils, school boards, that level. There is a voter's guide available at rigjoshow.com. Check it out. As a matter of fact, we just published yesterday our uh, voter's guide for New Mexico. Uh, their primary, not until June, but we want to make sure to get it up there. Right now, we just have the Senate and, and the U.S. Congress. We'll be adding more details to it down the road here, uh, but it is available right now. You can check that out. Also up on the website, information for Bags for Bravery, our big fundraiser coming up in early March for the Desert Veterans, where we ra- you get the chance to be my partner in a bean- beanbag tournament. By bidding on being my partner, uh, we'll be opening up the bids on our text line on Thursday during the show. Most of Friday's show at the bottom of the third hour in uh, the, the, uh, on Friday's show <clears throat> is when we will cut off all the bidding and announce the winner. Of course, we try to outdo last year's bid. I'm, I actually put a request in to get the number because I honestly, I, I, I don't mean this in a flippant way. I just don't recall I know it was a very sizable donation, uh, but there's a lot of things going on, so I don't get to always remember the the finer points. So uh, we'll have that number before the bidding opens. Uh, we had a promise from one of our merry band of regulars last year that they were going to start the bidding at a certain number based on uh, where we're heard in Wisconsin, in Green Bay, that they wanted to outbid whatever the morning show's top bid was. And so that's that's kind of where we'll be kicking things off on Thursday. I'll give you those details. But if you want to know more about desert, the Desert Veterans, about Bags of Bravery, all that information, uh, I put it as the featured post. So now it's the first post when you go to regjoeshow.com, R-E-G-Joeshow.com. And right next to it is the Wisconsin Voter's Guide. As I said, it is a primary day. Uh, if you, Well, I'll give you where you can go to find out if you have a primary today. Uh, but we have our information up there. And for those that do have a primary, I beg you to please make sure you go out and vote. Because as we've seen, including in 2020, when you come to, when it comes down to 20,000 votes or less in a state between Joe Biden and 
And Donald Trump, and I believe me, I get it, the shenanigans, the illegalities, the cheat. I get all that. I'm not disputing that. We know what happened. But I'm just saying as a general rule, when that's a really close number in a, in, in a statewide race, 20,000 votes, this is the difference between sitting at home and getting out and voting. And it's why it's so absolutely important, more important than, than hunting. And I know I pick on, I love hunters, by the way. Don't misunderstand me. I think hunting is awesome. I personally am not a hunter, but I know many, many men and women that are and very good at it. And I appreciate that that is something they have a passion for. And, you know, there's a utility to it, right? They, they shoot and kill their own meat. I mean, that, that's pretty cool uh, to be able to do that, the skills that go to it. But right now, the average is 40% of hunters vote. 40%. Four out of 10. That is inexcusable, frankly. It's pathetic. And if you're a hunter and you're offended, well, too bad. Get off your duff and vote. It's that simple. Because we know, look, the vast majority of hunters are not Joe Biden supporters. The vast majority of hunters are not people that would support Kamala Harris or Gavin Newsom because they're going to all take your guns, right? You know that. There's a great organization, Hunter Nation, that is dedicated to getting hunters out to vote in larger numbers. And I love that they're doing this because, you know, again, generally I try to take, a, you know, be tactful in what I do. But at this point, I think we need to, frankly, we, we need to mock to a certain degree hunters that don't vote. I, I'm sorry that because because there's no excuse. I don't care how much you want to get the buck of your dreams or whatever it is. Your country won't survive without you. What's more important? Missing a day of hunting to vote, and for that matter, for goodness sake, given the lax rules right now, you can practically vote from the outhouse on your hunting property using, you know, an oil well in in a feather pen, an inkwell rather, in a feather pen to get it done. (laughs) So this idea you can't get your vote in, it's kind of ridiculous, right? You can vote from anywhere at this point. I mean, not quite, but it's just, I mean, they don't exactly make it hard. You can vote absentee. You can vote early. Or you could just miss one day of hunting season and go and vote. Because if you don't, then don't complain. If you're not willing to do the most basic thing and get, think about this. In a state where like a state like Wisconsin, where there's a huge voting populace. Only four out of 10 hunters voted. Imagine if it had been five out of 10 or six out of 10. Let's go crazy and go eight out of 10. Do you know what shift that would make in the overall vote count? Do you know how much harder it would have made it for them to to come up with thumb drives full of votes to try to counter that that rush? I mean, the bottom line is you have the, the power is in your hands. What you do with it is up to you. But I'm not going to, I've been relatively genteel and polite when it comes to the hunting populace. This time around, I'm not. You have 259 days to make your plan to vote in November. Get it done. If you can plan a trip to wherever it is, the multitude, and a lot of the hunters I know, they go hunting not just in, in their home state. They travel to other states for their hunting seasons, which is awesome. It's good for the economy. It's good for your soul. 
It you know it helps you. It's a cathartic thing for a lot of these guys and gals. Great. If you can plan all that, you can plan to vote. Don't give me this namby. Because, again, since when do you think of a hunter as a sissy? Well, I'm going to tell you something. If you sit there and tell me you can plan two hunting trips this year and you can't figure out how to vote, then you're a sissy. I mean, it's the bottom line. You're making sissy excuses. Really? What time? I got to get up at 7 a.m. I got to get on the plane here. I got you know, all the logistics that go to the trips. You can do that, but you can't figure out how to get to the polling place. What really matters? This is the question. What is more important? Enjoy the hunt this year. Maybe you don't have it next year if you don't show up in November. That's how important it is. All right. I'm, it's my public service announcement on this voting day. It's that important. I mean, because really, I mean, notice, I'm sure if I check the text, there will be a multitude of hunters that are offended. I doubt it. I'm, I'm being facetious. And look, if you're a hunter that does vote, good on you. Talk to your fellow hunters. Because it's pathetic. Four out of ten. That's pathetic. There's just, there's really no, there's no excuse for this. There's no excuse for any adult, legal voter in this country to not exercise their right to vote. It's, I mean, to me, it's sad. Why would you, why? I, I, I just, I really, I struggle. Of all the, the power and the obligations the gifts that we're given in this republic, the ability to, to change the outcome of an election is one of the most powerful tools we have. Why in the world wouldn't we use it? It's just it's mind-boggling to me. And, and if it's because, oh, it just it gets in the way of hunting season. I I will say to you, my final thought, I didn't get to the conclusion, but I will just say to you this. I have chastised wealthy businessmen, both to their, I mean, it's not just something I say on the radio. I've had face-to-face conversations with some of them where I've said, you believe in the myth that if you keep your head down and don't rock the boat, that what's coming won't affect you, that somehow you'll be allowed to hold on to your wealth and live the life that you've earned. And, and look, I have no, this isn't a Democrat thing where, oh, wealthy people are all mean. They don't deserve their, no. No, to, to a one, every every wealthy person I've spoken to, someone that's worked their tail off to earn the money they have, it is their money. They've done excellent things to make it happen. I'm giving them a cautionary tale of how they keep their money. Because I said, let me dissuade you. They know exactly who you are. They know what you think already. And yes, they will come for you as well. Probably after they've already come for people like me. So you won't have any line of defense. And in the same way for the hunting populace, you have every right to go hunting. It is your joy. It is your passion. That's not the issue. The issue is you must do certain things to ensure that you still enjoy that freedom and liberty to go hunting. And that's where the hierarchy of understanding is important. We must maintain this republic if we, can, if we are to maintain those unalienable rights to life, liberty, in the pursuit of happiness. The Regular Joe Radio Show. Well, hello and welcome. Joe Jagani, Regular Joe here with you on this Tuesday. So the question came up, how many 
how many hunters, you know, we're talking about this this thing about hunters not voting. Uh, you know, what what are the numbers? Well, I mean, we just did a, a basic search. According to the uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, that ages 18 and above, the United States in its last count had approximately 14.4 million hunters in the United States. 14.4 million and if if 40 percent are if only 40 percent are actually voting that is a significant number that are not voting you're talking 8.6 million people not voting that's a huge think about 8.6 million more votes again that that's if all 60 percent even if it's even if it's half of that, I mean, four, four point, well, it'd be what, uh, 8.6, uh, be four, yeah, 4.3, 4. 4.35 million total. That's a huge difference in any election, especially when the last election, if we go by the numbers, which again, I fully acknowledge the numbers were jacked up. But even if you go by the numbers, talking in all the key states, there are 50, 20,000 vote differences. You think a few million more votes would have made it a lot harder for them to try to pretend that they had real numbers? In the state of Wisconsin, it was, uh, what, did I, what did I say? It was 140, 160,000 votes alone uh, in the state of Wisconsin if, if that 60% had voted. That's 20,000 vote margin, 160,000 uh, hunters didn't vote. I mean, that's, that's a huge, huge difference. That's my whole point in mentioning it. Now... We do always have good news. And I mean, look, the good news is, by the way, in my mention of all the hunting, is that, well, frankly, we can change it. That's, that is good news. We're not stuck with it. It doesn't have to be that way because, well, it just doesn't have to be that way. Now, two quick pieces of good news as we get deeper into this hour. Uh, plenty to talk about. By the way, did you know... Fanny Willis received an award on Sunday. No, not best actress in a Georgia court drama like her counterpart, Attorney General in New York, Letitia James. Uh, she won an award for being black. No, I, I'm not kidding, but I'll play a little bit of it. Her, her, uh, where she received the award was unique because it gave her the opportunity not only to give an acceptance speech, but to give a little preaching. And uh, that was some fun. We'll get to, we'll get to that. She's uh, she is en fuego. Now, in the state of Alabama, the Supreme Court had a very interesting case come before it. It made its decision this past Friday, and it ruled that. Well, I mean, this of course is science catching up with science. It ruled that human embryos are in fact human children with rights under state law. Now, this is. A major decision, to be sure, but it is one that is 1,001% consistent with science. These human embryos, of course, we're talking about frozen human embryos, conceive via in vitro fertilization, IVF. In the court's opinion, Justice J. Mitchell cited the wrongful death of a minor act. He wrote that the state law, quote, applies to all children born and unborn without limitation, end quote, end quote, regardless of their location, end quote. It is not the role of the court to craft a new limitation based 
on our own view of what is or is not wise public policy, he stated. I'll give you the rest of the story and what the potential impact is when we return. The Regular Joe Show. Welcome back. Joe Giganti, Regular Joe with you. I want to finish the story here. Uh, the good news story just got to it a few moments ago out of Alabama. Uh, but before I do, because I don't want to I don't want to forget. Uh, I don't want to let time get away from me on this. I do want to remind everyone listening uh, to us in the state of Wisconsin that today is a primary day in Wisconsin. Uh, depending on where you live. Now, if you're not sure, go to myvote.wi.gov. You can put in your address, and it will tell you, uh, you know, if um, if you if there's an upcoming if you have primary today, because not not every locale has votes happening today, but many do. And on my website, regjoeshow.com, I provided everybody with a voter's guide for Wisconsin. We also just put up one for New Mexico, but their primary is not till June, so plenty of time. We'll be adding to the one in New Mexico to what we already have up there. Uh, but there's a vote going on in Wisconsin today. Uh, I endorse several people that are in the primary today, including Steve Legal, who's running for school board in Pulaski. You may recall, for those living in Wisconsin, there were some odd goings on in Pulaski just a few months ago with the teacher that liked to wear nothing but a little bit of leather, sharing his social media addresses uh, with some of his students, that of course created an uproar. He is still teaching in the Pulaski School District, uh, but this is where you make a difference by making sure you put good people on the school board. Steve Legal, first time running, and uh, I think would be an excellent addition to the Pulaski School Board. So he has my endorsement uh, in the Green Bay City Council. Of course, Linda Eck, who used to be a part of the team here. Uh, she is running for re-election. She is in a three-way primary uh, that is happening today, including being challenged by the far left, uh, the mayor, the the nonpartisan mayor of Green Bay, uh, who, of course, does fundraisers and knocks doors for the Democratic Party because he is so nonpartisan. Uh, he is endorsed, first, first, as far as I know, first time ever, he is endorsing uh, one of Melinda's, uh, the, the far left, Challenger in the three-way primary. Uh, look, her record stands on its own. She has done excellent work since uh, being first elected there. And uh, I, I think she will continue to serve that district well, uh, provided she gets past this primary and goes into the general. Uh, there's Stephen Cam Steve Campbell in District 6, who I've endorsed. There's uh, others on the list as well. So check it out. You can see what's happening at regjoeshow.com. But again, this is where we get to make a difference as citizens in our great republic by going out and making our voices heard through the ballot box. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, I get that the mayor supposed most mayor races are supposed to be nonpartisan. City council races also are supposed to be nonpartisan. But as we have seen with with the, the, the weenie Eric Ginrich, when he was first elected to the mayorship in Green Bay, Wisconsin, he changed a lot of that. Uh, his blatant meddling in elections and interfering with elections 
I mean, his fingerprints as well as Celestine Jeffries are all over it. Uh, they continue to do their thing. The joy has been that in two years ago, the city council was flipped, adding far more constitutional members to the council, which has been able to slow the roll of this left-wing progressive fool that is in the mayorship. And uh, if you want that to continue, well, continue to support those people that are not a rubber stamp for Eric Ginrick. Uh, Eric Ginrick, by the way, just a reminder for people that may have forgotten, uh, was part of the team that literally gave the keys to central count to a third-party left-wing operative that was left in charge of counting the ballots on Election Day. Because that, of course, is how it's supposed to work, right? You know, just some guy that's there using Zuckerbucks to get there and the Center for Tech and Civic Life running things. I mean, I don't know about you, but I completely trust setups like that. All right, so there's a good news story out of the Supreme Court of Alabama. They ruled Friday that human embryos conceived in in vitro fertilization, some call them snowflake babies because they're basically in suspended animation, they're, they're frozen, <clears throat> that, in fact, they are human children with human rights under state law as any other child. And they, in, in making their decision, Justice Jay Mitchell cited the wrongful death of a minor act, which is a pre-existing law in Alabama that said, look, a born or unborn child, uh, is, they have all the rights of a child uh, without limitation, and that this would apply here because, again, you can't, you can't make separations based on political will. They have to apply the law evenly. So we want to say this is that it is not the role of the court to craft a new limitation based on our own view or what it is, what is or is not wise public policy. That is especially true. Whereas here, the people of this state have adopted a constitutional amendment directly aimed at stopping courts from excluding unborn life from legal protection. Mitchell referred to the Sanctity of Life Amendment, which was added to the Alabama Constitution in 2018 after voters approved it by a wide margin. He went on to say in the decision, I'm sorry, the amendment said that the state acknowledges, declares, and affirms that it is the public policy of this state to recognize and support the sanctity of unborn life and the rights of unborn children, including the right to life. This state further acknowledges, declares, and affirms that it is the public policy of this state to ensure the protection of the rights of the unborn child in all manners and measures lawful and appropriate. Chief Justice Tom Parker in the Wisconsin, excuse me, Alabama Supreme Court wrote a concurring opinion where he said the theologically based view of the sanctity of life adopted by the people of Alabama encompasses the following. God made every person in his image. Each person, therefore, has a value that far exceeds the ability of human beings to calculate. And human life cannot be wrongfully destroyed without incurring the wrath of a holy God who views the destruction of his image as an affront to himself. Greg Cook, the only member of the high court to side against the majority, wrote in his dissenting opinion that almost certainly, uh, that the ruling almost certainly ends the creation of frozen embryos through IVF in Alabama. I don't think that's what that does at all, but that's, that's of course, what he's going to say with this. Now, why does this have any impact? Well, again, as we've seen, remember, Roe v. Wade started in Texas. 
uh, Lawrence decision came out of Texas. State decisions have a way of impacting law in other states and other views. In what you have in the state of Alabama, the significance of this decision is codified in law in a very unquestionable, very clear and and, and really uh, unarguable way is a statement that life, which is what science tells us, that new life begins at the moment of conception. At that moment, the child has its complete DNA structure separate and apart from its mother and its its father. It is a unique strand of DNA for that baby. Uh, Again, none of this is new. We've known this. The fact that they're codifying it in law could have some major impacts, not only in other states that cite the law, but depending on if it's appealed, it goes to the Supreme Court and so forth, it could end up having an impact on the national stage. Not in the form of a, I don't see a national law being the result. I don't think that's the answer. I don't think that that's going to really change things. More importantly than just the legal side is by having this decision clearly written, clearly stated, and being talked about, it opens up a conversation that is worth having to understand what is involved when we destroy innocent human life, whether it be through the act of abortion or in the case of these so-called snowflake babies, these frozen embryos that are essentially in a state of, of suspended animation, can they just be discarded? Or, in fact, are you taking the life of a human being if you discard that child? This court has said clearly you are, and that that is not acceptable, and that that cannot be allowed under state law. Whenever we reestablish the the fundamental values of which this country was founded on and recognize the dignity of the human person— At every stage, no matter if they're young or old, born or unborn, capable or not. No more than these unborn children than the 85, 90-year-old person that has some physical disability. Their dignity is intact no matter what their physical state of life might be. And every step that we take that restores that and recognizes that makes us stronger as a nation. So it is, in fact... Very, very good news. Now, I know yesterday we shared with you John Floyd, the big daddy, the papa of Fannie Willis, or as she referred to him at one point in her testimony in front of the Fulton County judge, that old black man. Uh, Well, that's what she called him. I mean, why that old black man wanted me to have money. We played his non-racist explanation of things, because that's what he wanted us to, he made the point to say to the judge, he's not trying to be racist, but it's it's a black thing. So you might wonder what happened, because, you know, Fanny testified on Thursday. She was supposed to kick things off on Friday, but she wasn't there. I suspect because her lawyer said that was a complete train wreck. Under no circumstances are you testifying Again, or we're just, we're going to quit. We're not going to represent you. I'm I'm telling you, that conversation happened. Well, that's okay. She found another outlet. It was an outlet familiar to her because she had been there once before. Matter of fact, the last time she was there, she explained that when you're a black woman trying to save the world, you cannot be expected to be perfect. I am speaking of the Atlanta Berean Church where she said those infamous words while she was back there on Sunday. 
She was receiving the Black Achievement Award. Now, I couldn't find anywhere online where they delineated what was necessary to receive such a high honor. I don't know if it's just that she's black, therefore she, that's an achievement, or they're, I'm not sure. I find it ironic that they're giving an achievement award to somebody at that moment uh, who is just detailed on, on the, the witness stand her dalliances with a married man. Uh, but hey, who am I to judge? Nonetheless, she was there to accept her award and to preach a little about how difficult it is. You think that Kermit the Frog said it isn't easy being green. Well, it's a lot harder to be Fanny Willis. Cut 15. Let me tell you something that I've learned very, very recently, because you may need this lesson as well. You know, people keep sending me scriptures, and I, and I appreciate those scriptures, but different people from all different walks of life keep sending me this one scripture, and I don't think I ever really heard it till to maybe two days ago. You, people send you stuff, you read them, they just kind of become things you recite, but you don't really think about what they say. The scripture they keep sending me is, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. All right, well, they seem pretty impressed. What more? Tell me, Fanny. Tell me more about why that hits you the way it does. I need y'all to hear me, though. I'm listening. They did not say the weapon, weapons will not form. True. And that's the part I didn't hear until recently. Preach. Just because they won't prosper, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that they won't form. Mm -hmm. Even if you feel like everything you are doing in your life is the right thing, and you're making mistakes all along the way, but you're trying. Oh, yes. You should not think that those weapons will not form. The other lesson that I've learned in this three years mm -hmm. is God ordains those weapons. He puts those weapons in your life to form against you. Mm. All right. So she wants a participation trophy because she's trying and she knows these weapons are going to be formed. It sounded like Kamala Harris for a minute there. Just because they're not formed doesn't mean they won't work, and because they won't work doesn't mean they won't be formed. Go on, bring it home to me, explain it to me. I am listening, ears wide open, Fanny. And if you really understand him, mm -hmm. you become in your maturity to understand he does it for a reason. Yes. And it's to grow you, and oh, it's yeah. to make you stronger, mm. and it is to prepare you. And so my only request from this family today is, this is a really hard job I'm trying to do. It ain't easy. And I am an imperfect human being. As demonstrated. But I can literally feel the people who loves me's mm. prayers. If just every now and again, you'll throw my name in a prayer. God hears his children. I would very much appreciate that. The Regular Joe Radio Show. Joe Giganti, regular Joe here on this Tuesday. So just a moment ago, you heard Fanny Willis. She was preaching it. She said, look, pray. And I think we should pray for Fanny Willis. I mean, I may have a slightly different take on this whole weapon thing and why she keeps getting that scripture center. I don't know. Perhaps she, you know, says the weapon 
uh, will not prevail against you. Maybe she's missing the fact that maybe God's telling her she's been formed as a weapon against the truth, and that she won't prevail. But I, either way, I think praying for is completely fine. Uh, but that's her in her humbleness, her humility, receiving her Black Achievement Award just days after her terrible, disastrous testimony in the Fulton County hearing over whether or not she can continue her persecution case against Donald Trump after it was uncovered that, you know, she paid her paramour, her gigolo, almost $700,000 in taxpayer money. That was, uh, of course, he, you know, as his income, he used to lavish her with trips, but apparently she paid him back in cash. So there's nothing to worry about. Yeah, I mean, you probably want to be able to account for that. Well, you would think so. It's cash. So there's no receipts and no, there's no, there's no trail whatsoever. Isn't it ironic, by the way, I mean, just going 30,000 feet on this, that you have the argument, the essential argument with Nathan Wade and Fannie Willis is, they use cash because, you know, her ethnic raising as a black woman was that, you know, you keep cash in the house, which, by the way, my Italian dad did that. I mean, it's, it's not just a black thing. I think most people, particularly of certain ages, my parents were World War II generation, Depression era people. They would, that generation believed in keeping money accessible, especially when you live through like runs on banks and those kind of things. But but isn't it kind of ironic? In this day and age where they're trying to push us away from hard cash, right? They want digital everything. They want everyone to be able to be traced. Now under the Biden administration, even cash transactions at an all-time low rate are being tracked if they happen in your account. Isn't it kind of ironic that the very thing conservatives have said we should have the right to do is now their backdoor argument for how they didn't break the law? The Regular Joe Show. Fighting for truth, justice, and the American way. Without the cape, we're the superpowers. Not even a sidekick. Heck, we don't even have fancy gadgets. This is just Joe and his trusty microphone. Made in the USA. This is the regular Joe Show. Oh, so good. Hello there and welcome Joe Giganti, your regular Joe here with you on this Tuesday, hour number two, an election day, primary election day in some states. If that is the case in your state, please get out and vote. That is what it takes to make a difference. I mean, there's a lot of things we can do, but that's a big one. Do you live in a rural area? Has your hospital stopped offering certain services? Are you worried that your hospital is going to shut down? According to some reports, we are seeing a mass exodus of hospitals in rural areas. They they point back to where this, this trend began in 2010. It, of course, was in certain ways expedited post COVID. Is, is what they say, but what else happened in 2010? I feel like there's something else that took place in that time. I, I can't, re- I'll think about it. Maybe I can remember if I put my brain to it. We have that plus the big announcement today from Hickey Naley. What does it mean? I asked on social media 
I'll share some of the answers, some of the thoughts there. What do you think? At 12 noon Eastern, she is offering a state of the campaign address. Kind of an odd thing. What's that all about? Before we get anywhere, though, it is seven minutes after the hour, which means right now on the leftist coast in the Hollywood Hills, it is 7.07 a.m. On the Ivory Coast, it is 3.07 p.m. In Paris, France, because there's Paris, Texas, it is 4.07 p.m. And, of course, right now in Beijing, China, it is 11.07 p.m. That is your new and improved Biden Crime Family Time Check DM, the regular Joe Show, brought to you as it always has been and will be until we are free of the Biden regime at the top of each and every broadcast hour to make sure one can never claim ignorance to the depravity, the illegality, the immorality, and the general stinky ickiness that is the Biden crime family. Those just a few of the locales that they DBA do business as. Now, as I've long said, the states, you know, we 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 talk about a lot of national politics. We've got the big presidential election 259 days away. It is of utmost importance. There's no question about it. But we cannot focus on the national at the expense of the local, certainly not the statewide, uh, because these things are important. And they one is in, it, it's intertwined to the other. Even though the presidential election is a national election, it's Obviously, they are overseen and organized at the state level per our Constitution. But there's other reasons to pay attention to the state level. A lot of times there's some really good stuff going on at the state level. Not always. Sometimes it's, it's, it's not so good. But here in our good news to start the hour, we go to the state of Iowa, where the states, the Senate of the state passed a bill creating tighter restrictions on land ownership by foreign entities. This was done in its first day of floor debate. Senate filed 2204 to give the attorney general subpoena powers to investigate land ownership. It also increases penalties for foreign entities that fail to file with the secretary of state or are caught falsifying a report. It passed unanimously with very little discussion on the floor. Governor Kim Reynolds requested the bill. Quote, Iowa plays a major role in feeding and fueling the world, and it is important we maintain our dominance as the leading agricultural powerhouse, the governor said. Going on, she said, but as the threats of foreign ownership of land adapt, so should our laws. American soil should remain in American hands. I am pleased that the Senate has passed my bill providing greater protections for Iowa farmland and increased penalties for foreign owners that do not comply with our laws. There's a companion bill that is expected to move through the House um, as well. The latest foreign holdings of U.S. agricultural land report from the U.S. Department of Agriculture shows that 1.6% of Iowa's farmland is currently owned by foreign entities. Canada owns the most significant chunk of Iowa's land with 196, uh, excuse me, 198,667 acres. Now, look, I don't know. That kind of worries me more than the than the, uh, the Islamic states. No, I'm kidding. Well, maybe not. But either way, I don't want the Canucks owning our country. You know who I want to own our land? Americans. I'm funny that way. That's followed by all others with 181,258 acres. According to the report that it was uh, includes data through December 31 of 2022. 
Iowa has one of the strongest laws regulating the ownership of farmland by non-U.S. entities, according to Micah Brown, the staff attorney at the National Agriculture Law Center, who spoke to the Center Square, who wrote the article, uh, about this recent situation. Quote, structurally, it is a good law because it provides enforcement mechanisms and penalty mechanisms that are necessary to enforce. Some states are silent on enforcement and penalty. I think it is very important, especially as we continue to see, particularly the communist Chinese, trying to buy up as much of our country as they can. I think it's somewhat astounding, and I'm not very easily surprised, but when you find out how lax some of the laws are in our states, it's it's pretty disturbing how easily foreign entities can come in, buy up land, buy up companies, infiltrate entire industries, and we have to be smarter than that. And then it's not... We can, we can do plenty of trade. We can do all these different things. But, again, to sell land, to sell industries, to let them take over massive industries within our country, really is it, it's not in the best interest of our autonomy and our nation. It's kind of a no-brainer. It shouldn't be a partisan issue, although it has become one. Uh, but very good news out of Iowa that that's what they're doing. Now, a story that caught my eye, it's two that go together. There continues to be a lot of split feelings when it comes to pushing George Santos out of the United States Congress. Of course, he was a sitting member of the Republican Party who had a dubious past, to put it nicely, was under investigation for a number of, of questionable actions and broken, potentially broken laws. And so it seemed the right thing that he should go. Now, many have argued why the Democrats don't police their own in the same way. And I understand that. I tend to, my my general default in that is we're not the Democrats, we're better than that, so we don't play by those rules. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to do everything the exact opposite either. And there's recently a poll at Just the News. Now, it was just a poll uh, among their their viewership, their readership. 3,364 people have taken part in the poll thus far. The question was, do you think expelling George Santos was a good decision? 10%, 328 votes, said yes. 2%, 83 uh, 83 votes, said not sure. 88%, 2,953, said that, in fact, they think it was a bad decision. Now, it, the intro to the question uh, reads as follows. Following his historic expulsion from Congress, former New York GOP rep George Santos was replaced by Democrat Tom Swazi the Bear following a special election, narrowing a Republican's already slim majority in the House. Do you think so? I guess most of this answer is in light of what happened, do you think it's a good idea? A solid 88% say no. Now, it could be because of stories like this. You remember everyone's favorite charter, Eric Swalwell, he of the honeypot, the Chinese honeypot, Bang Bang or Fang Fang or whatever her name is. Well, he's back in the headlines. According to uh, Open Books, or excuse me, OpenTheBooks.com, which is a nonprofit, nonpartisan watchdog group, 
that is run by Adam Adruski. Uh, he's out of Illinois, of all places. He he tries to keep up on on shady spending within government uh, individuals and bodies. So he's a busy job. According to his recent report, Eric Swalwell, Democrat from California, spent more than $2.1 million last year on expenses that include international travel, fine dining, luxury spas, chauffeured cars, child care, and more, according to his filings with the Federal Elections Commission. More than $430,000 of that 2.1 from last year are marked as travel expenses. According to campaign records, at least 13000 of that was spent overseas, including trips to the United Kingdom, Germany, Israel, and the United Arab Emirates. Nearly $350,000 of the travel expenses were spent on visiting entities outside of the state of California of where he serves. Now, according to House Ethics Manual, the House Ethics Manual, it allows campaign funds to be used uh, on trips that either attend a campaign or political event or to engage in other campaign activity. In addition to that, the FEC, the Federal Elections Commission, allows a member to use campaign funds to pay for travel and related expenses of his or her spouse and minor children, in addition to, to, the, to the candidate, at political events and events that the lawmaker is attending in a, an official capacity. Now, of course, what we don't know, according to Adam, is exactly how much of his family was traveling with him on these. His campaign has refused to respond to requests for information detailing that. So according to Andrew, I, I don't want to do this guy's name bad, but it's a difficult one. Uh, Andrew Zuski, I believe is how you say it. According to him, quote, since campaign funds are not taxpayer dollars and donations are not tax deductible, the best way to hold candidates responsible is to quit donating to them uh, if you feel that they're misusing the money. He went on to say, historically, oversight bodies have given wide latitude to political expenditures because the donations are from the private sector and the gifts come from after-tax money. Notably, uh, Santos was expelled, this article points out, coming under fire for use of his campaign money for travel over the course of three years. Santos's campaign spent more than $136,000 on travel, which is significantly less than Swalwell's $430,000. Now, let's not forget, again, this was a major player in the, the phony J6 committee, a phony player in both impeachments of Donald Trump, and, and is known to be, uh, to have a Chinese communist honeypot as a consort. That would not be his wife or children, by the way. Uh, the woman that he was sleeping with was an agent of the communist Chinese government of which he was not married to her. That can get confusing because, of course, Mitch McConnell's married to a, Well, anyway, we won't go to that, that road. But either way, uh, the Chinese are pervasive in their influence on political figures um, and certainly on the Democrat and the Republican side. That's a lot of money, though, $2.1 million dollars. That's not on campaign. I mean, it's technically a campaign expense, but I mean, this wasn't him stumping to run for re-election. It makes you wonder if he'll follow if he will fall under the same microscope and the same criticism as his fellow former House member, George Santos, who got in a lot of trouble, rightly so, for things he did, including $136,000 of expenses that were not justifiable. 
But that's certainly a lot less than 430,000 and a heck of a lot less than 2.1 million. We'll be waiting with bated breath to see what Hakeem Jeffries has to say about this potential embarrassing moment by Eric Shartwell. The Regular Joe Show. Chiganti, you're regular Joe here with you on this Tuesday, struggling with the buttons. There's two. There's two buttons that turn on the mic. And for some reason, I can't seemingly, ah, don't mind me. Welcome back. As always, a pleasure to be with you. Asking the question, and it's on Facebook. If you want to comment there, you can, of course, text us or call us at 888-737-1737-888-737-1737. What is Hickey Nailey's plan with his big state of the campaign announcement? Is she going to announce that she's going no labels? Is she dropping out of the race? Is it a desperate attempt as we barrel towards the South Carolina primary, which is just days away? Is this just an attempt by her to get a little more attention, seeing as she's down by like double? And when I say double, I mean double the amount. I pulled up the, the, I think we went through some of the polls yesterday, uh, but I did pull it up. And I mean, she is down by at least, at least 30 points in her home state. She is going to get blown out of the water. Uh, There's just really little question about it. So what do you think is the big thing that's going to happen, if anything at all? Or as I said, it's just a PR move, a faint move, try to get some attention, get people to pay attention to her that are already ignoring her that are already t- treating her a bit like a has-been. 888-737-1737. Now, I mentioned at the top of the hour, and I said, gosh, you know, if I could only remember why, there's a story out of the New York Post. It's been covered a couple other places. Chartis is a Chicago-based healthcare advisory services firm, and they recently released some data on rural hospitals in the United States, saying that, there's been an increased downward trend of them closing since 2010. Since then, 141 rural hospitals have gone out of business. More alarming, according to their press release, is that 453 more are, quote, at risk of closure. The seven states with the most hospitals vulnerable for closures include Texas, 45, Kansas, 38, Nebraska, 29, Oklahoma, 22, North Carolina, 19, Georgia, 18, Mississippi, 18. All this is listed in Becker's Hospital Review. In Florida, Tennessee, and Nebraska, more than 41% of rural hospitals are at risk of closure. Between 31 and 40% are at the same risk in Utah, South Dakota, Kansas, Oklahoma, Alabama, North and South Carolina. So what does all this mean? I mean, first of all, there, there, there's seven factors that they went to look at when trying to determine their, their health, basically. Uh, these included the number of years the hospital has been operating without a profit and the amount of net patient revenue. It also looked at other factors, uh, including the uh, average daily need for skilled nursing, 
the average number of inpatients during the year, reliance on inpatient revenue versus, you know, I guess emergency room revenue and other non-inpatient work, its share, now this is an important one, its share of Medicare outpatient charges in each hospital's case mix index. That's all a lot of gobbledygook of why. Bottom line is a bunch of these hospitals aren't making money. They're providing services. They're not making the money. Now, I know for a fact that there are a number of hospitals, and I, I don't know if it's these here, but I know of a couple different systems where they're owed tens of millions of dollars in payments from the federal government for Medicaid and Medicare coverage, services they've extended, but they haven't been paid yet. The Regular Joe Radio Show. back, Joe Giganti, your regular Joe. You know, it's not easy to get Charlie to break a smile when uh, when we're working our way into a segment. I do my best, but it doesn't always work out. You can be a part of it, 888 So I'm talking about this situation, as reported by the New York Post, of all these rural hospitals closing at larger numbers. Now, let's think about a lot of the locations, obviously states with big Big rural popular or big areas of rural of a rural nature, Oklahoma, a lot of you know Iowa farmlands. Texas still has a lot of of you know uh, big properties where they're running cattle, these kinds of things. So it's not surprising that the states that tend to have more rural areas have more rural hospitals that are on on the bubble right now. But the interesting thing is, you go through the article and, and read the rationale that chart has put together. One thing I don't see anything about is the impact of illegal immigrants on it. Because understand, when someone shows up at a hospital in an emergency room, they have to be served. I mean, that you can't turn them away. If they, especially if they have a, I mean, if, you know, someone, for example, gets hurt, let's say, working on a farm and it's a serious injury, they can't just be like, yeah, we're not going to serve you. Whether you have health insurance or you don't. So there's, there's a cost that that drives up. As I mentioned before the break, the federal government is terrible at paying its bills. It requires these hospitals to take government-funded you know, health care like Medicare and Medicaid. But oftentimes there's, I mean, we're talking, I spoke to someone on the board of a hospital. We're talking tens of millions of dollars unpaid, services being provided, Doctors being paid, supplies being purchased, but that money that's supposed to come in on the back end isn't showing up. But there's kind of a key to this whole thing, really, in the first, the opening line. And I mentioned this earlier. I said, gosh, 2010. What happened in 2010? Well, Mark, one of our very band of regulars, wrote back and he said, in 2010, the healthcare marketplace rolled out. And then you're right. But I was going to what created the healthcare market, the Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare, was introduced 
in 2010. Now, this is one of the issues that we often see when these horrible ideas get made into law. Because you'll recall they did all the PR events where they had doctors in their white coats on the South Lawn, and they were all in favor of insurance companies, and everyone thought it was a great deal. Now, since then, I've talked to insurance executives that felt they had no, no choice, that they were pushed into a corner and all they could do was go with it in the chance that they might survive. It's kind of reminiscent of the argument Republicans are making about why they rolled over in the state of Wisconsin and gave the liberal progressive governor his wishes on district mapping. Now, of course, you recall my favorite Winston Churchill quote, an appeaser is one who feeds a crocodile hoping it will eat him last. Of course, the bad part of it is the crocodile is going to eat you one way or the other. You're not doing anything to stop the crocodile from eating you. And so it is with modern medicine. Now, remember, I've told you the Affordable Care Act was designed to fail. I said a moment ago, one of the problems when these bad ideas are made to law is the following. They, it doesn't come to fruition. The failure, the clear nature of the failure doesn't always show immediately. Sometimes it takes five years. Sometimes it takes longer, like 14 years before you start to see the trends that it, it creates. And that's, by the way, on purpose. It's built into it. It's cooked into the recipe. You don't taste the egg in the recipe because it's, too, you know, people don't want it, but you hide it with the sugar. And that's exactly what they've done. And here we are 14 years later, 141 hospitals already checked out a possible 453 more. And nowhere in the article... Nowhere in Chartis's research does it go into, at least in what's been presented here, does it speak of the two factors that are probably the biggest that play into this, which is the effect that Obamacare has had on our health care system, including, as Mark pointed out, the healthcare marketplace, where they set costs, right? They say, this is, we're going to pay X no matter what it costs you. You have to treat this person if they need the help. And if that service costs you $2,000, we will give you $500 for it and you will be happy. And then you got to hope they actually give you the $500 because that's, that's another issue as you continue to run your business. And then there's a whole swath of people that you have to help because, again, I mean, you do no harm. And, you have, I mean, and by the way, I'm not arguing that they should turn people away that are truly sick, but when you use an emergency room like a primary care physician, it it unnecessarily dries up the cost of doing business for the hospital and for everybody that, that partakes in it. And for example, if you're, if you're in a car accident and an ambulance comes by to check you out, no, they didn't, not even take you to the hospital. They just come to check you out. I know about this because of a situation that I'm aware of. That costs you $500. Now, that's $500. So let's change the scenario, and the person they come and check out has no health insurance and has no permanent address because, well, they're here illegally. Guess what? Who do they send that $500 bill to? Nobody. But then they just add it into the bill of everybody else that pays their bills, and it drives up those costs. And what does it do? It destroys the healthcare system.
it makes it so that it's unsustainable unless you do what? What will these hospitals, if you have 453 hospitals on the brink in all of these major states, according to one of the experts in the article, it says that without a feasible solution, many patients will simply be left without access to emergency care and uh, emergency services and primary care. Now, do you really think that's the way it'll be left? Wait, do you hear that horn blowing? Do you hear the cavalry on the way? What will the cavalry be in this case? Well, of course, the federal government. And they'll find a way to bail these hospitals out. They, I mean, they have to. Right? I mean, of course, you can't be without health care. Perhaps when they look at things, they'll decide that these hospitals aren't really operating in a way that the government who is supplying the money, even though it's your money, they act as though it's their money. Perhaps they're going to feel that they need to oversee it a little more closely. Perhaps if they were in charge, this wouldn't really be a problem. And it would simplify things if the government simply ran the health care. You know, like a single-payer health care system. Single-payer doesn't mean you. You're not the single-payer. The government is the single-payer. Now, for those of you old enough to remember, people like me and others warned back during the days of Obamacare that the end game was a single-payer health care system. That Obamacare was never the permanent solution. In fact, it was designed to fail so that it could usher in the need for the government to be in control of everything. Because you just can't trust the private sector. Left to their own devices, they're going to lose money and they're going to have to close because they can't make money. You know, like these 453 hospitals that are all on the, on the bubble right now. All of it traceable to some market change. Back to 2010, although the article and the, the experts seemingly forget, the largest single seismic shift in our healthcare system that occurred in 2010, which was the passage of the very controversial Affordable Care Act, the very passage that led to the Tea Party revolution, among other things, that ousted the Democrat control in the House and Senate because they had gotten in there and in, in record speed, forced through the passage of this bill because they knew the American people wouldn't want it. It's the same bill that did, in fact, include panels that would oversee whether or not you were worthy of their health care. And if not, well, they just thought they'd make you comfortable while you die. Kind of like the standard protocol that was used during covid We'll make you comfortable. We just won't treat you with things that will actually heal you. We'll give you things that will precipitate you getting worse. But we'll do it all in the name of science. And we'll thin the herd a little bit. Which, by the way, in the government-run healthcare system, is actually how they save money. Now, you don't have to take my word for it. Go look and see what Ezekiel Emanuel, one of the authors of the Affordable Care Act, said on a regular basis about one of the ways you can save money in healthcare is simply to have fewer people.
to make determinations, particularly of the old. They have served their purpose. They have had their time on this earth. Why would we waste money trying to preserve that time when they have lived long enough? Now, it's all been out there. It's not hard to find this information. I did videos about it back then. They're called Gigantes for Real. You can find it on YouTube to this day. It's still up on my page on YouTube, at Rig Joe Show <clears throat> on YouTube. You can go back and look at them. This has always been the plan, and now the plan is coming together just the way they were hoping it would. The problem is, it's very bad news for us. Now, again, how do we change these things? Well, again, it's one bite at a time. There's a lot going on. But I'm going to tell you one of the big things that we need to do. We need to prevent a government bailout. This is not the solution. Government bailouts make things worse. Look at what happened in the Great Recession. George W. Bush thought it would be great to throw tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars at the too-big-to-fail industries, and it put us into one of the nearly another depression because it's such bad economic policy. Now, what they're setting up here is another day where they want you to believe that the answer, the solution is more government control. The solution is getting the government out of the system. Have competition do its job. Have transparency do its job. The Regular Joe Radio Show. Hello there and welcome. Joe Giganti, regular Joe. You know, if there's something uh, that I appreciate, I appreciate a lot of traits uh, in, in my fellow man, but one is unmitigated optimism. I have been accused of that many times in my life, and I don't mind it at all. And I go to one of our merry band of regulars, Bronson, who wrote in on the question of what what is going to happen at noon Eastern today when Hickey Nailey gives her State of the uh, Campaign address. And uh, he says, noon address, she suspends her campaign, question mark? I mean, look, I think that'd be, I honestly think that'd be wonderful news. I think it's the smart thing to do. I wish she would do it. I don't think she'll do it. I don't, I, I could be, I hope I'm wrong. I just, based on all the other signals, I, I, I hope she does, Bronson. I appreciate your optimism. And then Lynn wrote in, uh, regarding the whole Affordable Care Act and how we're seeing the negative dividends uh, now. She said, as as Biden said on a hot mic, it was a big effing deal, right, which a great reference point, Lynn. Yes, that was one of the, even back then, Joe Biden, even, even before he lost his marbles, you couldn't trust the guy not to say the wrong thing. I mean, let's never forget that he described Barack Obama as bright, articulate, and clean uh, so <laughs> he's a good one. Let's hang on to this guy. Uh, but yeah, there you have it. So you're right, Lynn. Yes. He, even he recognized that it was a big effing deal in his own words. And of course, our certified top memer, uh, which is Greg the Great, uh, he sent a great meme. It, it, well, the, well, just at the post this one. It's hard to do the, the visuals and the explanation, but you have the little kid. Uh, looks like he's, he's a, in Africa, like in a mission. And he's looking at the adult kind of sideways, like he's the smart one. He says, you thought people who believe in overpopulation and overconsumption would design a healthcare system that makes people live longer and have more spare income, question mark? And then the 
Second half of the meme is Obama surrounded by a bunch of people laughing hysterically. And then Obama says, then I called it the Affordable Care Act, which, yeah, exactly. Nothing affordable about it whatsoever. Designed to fail. Designed, again, all forms of subjugation. You know, one of the difficulties in a republic to be independent, right, to stand on your own two feet, is it, it gets hard. And they play upon that. The, the difficulty. They want to give people the easy button. And it's human nature. You want to accept the easy button. You want to, you want to take that. Now, when we get back at the top of the hour, we have heard from a United States senator uh, who is an indigenous person, uh, at least by her claim, of course, we're talking about Elizabeth Warren. She was on podcast, or was it Pod Save America? Yeah, Pod Save America, whatever. It's a podcast where she was trying to explain the Trump effect. How is it everyone thinks things were better under Trump? Well, she has a very definitive answer to that. Plus, we have a Weenie of the Week award to give away. I, this may run, this definitely puts this person in the running for the Golden Turd Award winning. And we now the reigning champ, of course, is Mitt Romney. They don't have to be an elected official to get the Golden Turd Award winner, but it it takes something to reach that level. This will definitely get them in the running. It is absolutely a Weenie of the Week award winner. We'll share that with you when we get back. Plus, more of your thoughts on exactly what it is that that Hickey Naley is going to do. It's it's again, <clears throat> it may just be nothing more than a faint move, but it's interesting that she's doing it. Either way, I think it shows her desperation. Despite her rhetoric, it does not seem like she is a woman that feels like she's on top, that she's winning in, in any real way. Uh, which also, of course, don't forget this ties right into ranked choice voting and final five. That's the theory that, you know, of course, the person that can't win a primary somehow could win the general if you would just give them the chance. Makes complete sense, don't you think? I mean, if you win, lose, lose, and lose, then make that person the nominee, and then they might actually win. Plus, I've got an update on electric vehicles. Now, I know that's one of our favorite topics. But there's a new regulation specific to electric vehicles about what they have to have on their license plates. It's kind of interesting, but not just their rear plate. This has to be on the front plate and the rear plate. It could be a matter of life and death. Wonder why? I'll tell you when we get back. The Regular Joe Show. Fighting for truth, justice, and the American way. Without the cape, we're the superpowers. Not even a sidekick. Heck, we don't even have fancy gadgets. This is just Joe and his trusty microphone. Made in the USA. This is the regular Joe Show. Oh, so good. There, Joe Giganti, you're going to Joe, hour number three. Already, goodness gracious, the time flies by. We have the Weenie of the Week award to, to give. It is, of course, it's with a heavy heart. I know I always get picked on for these things, but, you know, you got to call it out for what it is. President Trump has recently said on actually several occasions that we need Republican leadership, Republican candidates, Republican leadership, in rank-and-file Republicans that will fight harder 
and that will fight, that'll be stronger, be tougher, and fight harder. He is a thousand percent correct. And that's illustrated this in this week's Weenie of the Week award winner. Now, they got their 15 minutes of fame on 60 Minutes. I'm sure that they are doing the apology tour so that they can be welcomed back into the country club Republican mix so they can start making big money again and feel good about themselves. But the question is, what, what greater good does it really serve other than their own ambition? And I, I don't know, maybe that's okay. Maybe if they are only serving their own ambition, that's, that's now laudable. I, I don't know. It's hard for me to understand how and why they do these things. We'll get into that. Plus, the latest with electric vehicles. This will make you want to buy one. It is seven minutes after the hour, which means in Los Angeles, California, of course, 8.07 a.m. In Kiev, it is 6.07 p.m. And right now in Bali, Indonesia, 12.07 a.m. That is your new and improved Biden crime family time check, TM. The regular Joe show brought to you as it always is at the top of each and every broadcast hour to make sure one can't possibly question the reality of the scum and villainy that is the Biden crime family. Those just a small little sample of the many, many locations that they DBA do business as. Now, in the good news section of the show, welcome, by the way, Joe Giganti, your regular Joe, 888 I love the, uh, just looking at our text line, the, the meme that just came in from our certified top memer, Greg, it is a picture of, uh, I forget what the character's name was, uh, the... Oh, he was the motivational speaker. What was it? Uh, Saturday Live character. I'm blanking out on what, what his, his character name was. But <laughs> he would always say, for the love of God. And uh, it's a picture of him talking to, to Hickey Nailing. It says, for the love of God, quit already. You lost. Uh, <laughs> that's a great meme. That, mark that one for use as well. Uh, you can send your thoughts. What, why is, is Hickey Nailing holding a state of the campaign address at noon Eastern today? Will the, will, is there going to be any real news, or is it just going to be more of the same? I mean, her talking points, by the way, are so tired at this point. You can literally—no, I know it's Chris Farley. I was trying to remember the Chris Farley character, though. Somebody texted him. Thank you, Corey. I appreciate it. No, I, I know the, the actor's Chris Farley, but there was a name for his motivational speaker. He had the plaid suit, you know, with the old black rim glasses, the, the thin tie. <laughs> Because he always, he'd always like squat down, you know, like bend down. <laughs> it was he was really a talented. He was a very funny guy. Another one of those tragic situations. Uh, I'll have to look it up on there. Maybe you can look it up. Look at the Chris Farley motivational speaker. Because uh, I don't, I, I can't recall the name of the character, but that is it. That is a beautiful meme. Uh, that one. Thank you, Greg, for sending it. Uh, now, under under the the rubric of good news, you know, we try to look at what things people have accomplished. Uh, and in the case of Joe Biden, now we have we have Elizabeth Warren that's going to she's going to check off a list of all of his great, great uh, accomplishments. But I, this one was not in it. So I feel that in this good news section, of course, I should probably should mention it in fairness to the Biden crime family and Joe Biden. This from justthenews.com resurgent Al Qaeda training camps, latest black eye from Biden Afghanistan withdrawal. Two re reports released just days apart from each other 
are providing stark new evidence of the lasting consequences of Brandon's bungled withdrawal from Afghanistan. The United Nations Analytical Support and Sanctions Monitoring Team, that's a long title, reported late last month that the terrorist group Al-Qaeda, uh, though weakened from its heyday in the early 2000s, <clears throat> has reconstituted as many as eight training camps in five religious training schools known as madrasas on Afghan soil under the Taliban's rule while also increasing its propaganda operations. While the UN report blamed the Taliban for its hosting of al-Qaeda, the Brandon administration continued to send massive humanitarian dollars to the Afghan regime, in many cases through the UN and global charities, according to a separate report from an American watchdog. John, uh, John Sofka, the U.S. Special Inspector General for Afghanistan's Reconstruction, reported a few days after the U.N. report was issued that the United States accounted for all but 300 million, because that's a small number, of the 2.9 billion in humanitarian aid sent to the Taliban since the withdrawal of American troops in August of 2021. Most of it, he noted, came in cash. $2.9 billion, mostly in cash. He said, quote, the U.S. is the largest international donor, having provided about $2.6 billion in funding for the U.N., other PIOs, and NGOs operating in Afghanistan since August of 2021. More than $1.7 billion of that funding came from the state and the U.S. agency, meaning State Department, U.S. Agency for International Development, also known as U.S. Aid, to support humanitarian activities. Experts said the flow of cash to help the Taliban, while it allows al-Qaeda to flourish, sends a very dangerous message, you think? Former, former Deputy National Security Advisor Victoria Coates said recently, quote, America is the biggest funder of this thing, so the United States taxpayer is disproportionately on the hook paying for the activities... Rebuilding Al-Qaeda. Makes you feel better. Yes, Matt Foley. Thank you. Motivational speaker, Matt Foley. Down by the river. Yes, in a van down by the river. Anyway. So there you have it. The great accomplishment of the Biden administration is they are... We're not just securing Ukraine's border. We're not just trying to dump money into Taiwan. We are not distancing ourselves from our actual ally of Israel... Uh, with constant statements of two-state solutions and the need for ceasefires while pouring more gas and money onto the war in Ukraine, we are also helping to build al-Qaeda. So for you on the left, feel your warm fuzzies about that. You're, you're pretty expert at that. Now for the actual good news, GOP lawmaker introduces legislation to reimburse Texas for billions it's using to secure its border. Congressman Roger Williams, a Texas Republican in the United States House, introduced legislation to reimburse his home state for billions of dollars it spent to secure the southern border. Now, generally speaking, I'm not like, woohoo, let's spend more tax money. But this is a legitimate expense of the federal government that's being abused. And it should be paying for this. So I think it's a smart move. The legislation titled Operation Lone Star Reimbursement Act, which doesn't apparently spell an acronym, at least the best I can tell, because usually they tell you if there's an acronym, but there's no acronym with this one. Or you could call it ULZRA, 
because that's what <laughs> that's what it does. Would reimburse Texas almost four billion dollars in expenses. <clears throat> this, according to Fox News, quote: "The federal government is primarily responsible for securing the borders of the United States at and between ports of entry." The bill states, "Due to the lack of action by the federal government, the state of Texas has been forced to continually appropriate funds." to secure the southern border of the United States, end quote. If it passes, the Treasury Secretary would reimburse the state. I think it should pass, and I can recommend where we can get some of the money. Let's completely defund Planned Parenthood, which is three-quarters of a billion dollars, roughly, that the federal government is wasting money on. <clears throat> then you just got to come up with another $3 billion. But it's a good start. Take all the money away from... The organization focused on taking the lives of innocent unborn children and, and secretly having your children mutilate themselves under the term of transgenderism. Take that money away and let's give it to the state of Texas, who's actually doing the work that it's supposed to be doing. Well, there you have it. Now, I mentioned everyone's favorite senator from Massachusetts. You know, the woman says, you want to have a beer? Let's have a beer. I'm going to have a beer. Remember that awkward video? So horrible. Such such an awkward video. Hi, I'm here with my husband. Hi, husband. <clears throat> Want to have a beer? Like, I'm not saying that like this is the first time I've ever asked that to you. <laughs> but she was eminently relatable with her 1,032nd <clears throat> DNA that said that she's not actually indigenous. But either way, she was talking to Jonathan Edward Favreau, who's the host or one of the hosts of Crooked Media's Pod Save America, which, of course, is a takeoff of God Save America. It's Pod Save America. They're very clever on the left. She was asked a pretty simple, well, let's let him, he'll ask you. Basically, he wants to know, why is, why is everyone looking at the year, the, the, the Trump years, with such fondness on economics in between the two of them? I mean, I think they really nail it. Cut one. Why do you think that people, uh, all these polls show like a lot of voters look back on the Trump years and they think they didn't like a lot about it, but they think the economy was good in the Trump years. <laughs> and I know that like we weren't, I know, well, at the, at the end, clearly. And then w at the end when COVID happened and, you know, they, they figure, oh, well, COVID happened all around the world. And so, of course, the economy went south. But, you know, before that, Donald Trump was, uh, he was presiding over an OK economy. You know, again. I don't know. I, I can't explain. I can't explain polling. No, I mean, I, I yeah, can't. No, I, don't. I, I can't. And I can't explain how the narratives come to be. I also can't explain how sensitive are they. I'm going to now sound like the professor I used to be. How sensitive are they to the exact questions that get asked? Because you do get real differences in this. All I can do is do the look ahead. Mm -hmm. And the look ahead is going to be draw this contrast. So there you have it. She doesn't really know. None of it. It's not hard. It's because people had more money in their pocket because things cost significantly less. And there was more abundance of the things people wanted to buy. It's not difficult, Elizabeth. But you're busy having a beer with your husband. The beer that's been chilling in your refrigerator for the past seven years when you were deciding whether to run for president. She wasn't done, though. She thinks there's a contrast. You have to see the contrast between Trump and Biden. I actually feel pretty good about what's coming up. And the reason I do is the contrast is so clear. Yes. Think about this. This is like the first time in almost forever, in our lifetime certainly, that 
two people are running for president, both of whom have actually been president. Mm -hmm. Mm. And so you can really get a not what are your highfalutin fancy promises. It's really what have you done? And here's where we go. Donald Trump has done, count them, two things. Big ones, big ones. An extremist Supreme Court that overturned Roe versus Wade. And a giant tax break that was mostly sucked up by millionaires, billionaires, and giant corporations. Well, there, she kind of makes it look a little nasty there. She seemed like she was being bipartisan. Well, he did two things, but they're all really bad. And she can't understand it. She feels, by the way, she may be the last Democrat in the United States of America that feels good about the contrast between Trump's America in Joe Biden's America. But then again, when you hear what she thinks Trump, uh, Biden's America looks like when we get back, that might explain it. Don't think she's living in reality like the rest of us. The Regular Joe Show. Welcome, Joe Giganti, regular Joe with you on this Tuesday. It is an election day in some states, primary election. Of course, in the state of Wisconsin, there is. If you live in Wisconsin, you're hearing my voice. Make sure to see if you've got to vote today. Myvote.wi.gov, I believe. Is that to make sure that's right? Yeah, myvote.wi.gov. If you put in your info, it'll tell you if you have a, a primary today. Uh, and if you're not sure you, and you live and obviously you're hearing the show, check out my website, regjoeshow.com. I have a voter's guide, several good candidates. Some are running for the first time. Some are running for re-election. Some of those running for re-election are uh, Melinda Eck, who's in a pri- three-way primary, Steve Campbell, uh, who's running both for uh, city council as well as the county board of supervisors, and then on the uh, Pulaski School Board Steve Legal, who is a great candidate, first time running, father, has kids in this school, private businessman of some great success, frustrated by things not getting done the way they should, and willing to put his time, his every you know, again, time, talent, and treasure, because uh, these are not paid positions uh, for the school board, So, but he's willing to go out there and do it, uh, and I think he'd be fantastic. I was proud to endorse him as well. Uh, Dennis Kaminsky is another guy on the Pulaski School Board. He does not have a primary, so he he's he'll he'll ride through until the actual spring election. Uh, but all that available at regjoeshow.com. We've got one up for New Mexico. We have other states that will be coming online here in the next couple days and weeks as we get closer to those primaries. Uh, and as we build up on this, of course, the question: Will it be Joe Biden? It seems like in more and more people's minds. Even some on the left, it's not going to be Joe Biden. The raging Cajun Jim Carville has basically intimated that, and that's a big 180. It was just not two weeks ago that he was he was still in Camp Biden to to a certain degree, and then that report came out. We had the nine minute loss of of activity, uh, nine second rather loss of activity, and that that statement he gave about Alexei Navalny and among other gaffes. Seemingly every time he goes out to prove that he is completely of sound mind, complete control of his faculties, no diminished mental capacity whatsoever. He just makes it worse, kind of like when he said we needed to fund NATO, and he meant to say the Ukraine. 
But that doesn't stop Elizabeth Warren. She's out there on Pod Save America by Crooked Media singing the praises to the youngins. That's why she's doing it. Because, you know, I'm sure that when you think, I mean, relatively speaking, right, to Joe Biden, she is the youngin. I mean, considering that there's so many of the Democrats are in their 80s that are running right now. I mean, uh, Clyburn is 83. He's actually older than, than Biden. Elizabeth Warren, I mean, she's... She's a sprightly one at this point compared to some of the others, and she's got a lot of vim and vigor. She always wants, and she she always at that young age of seventy four, she wants to make sure everyone knows that she's got lots of energy. She's ready to get there. Well, she was talking about that the only thing Trump has done is bad things, and then she here she's going to explain to you in cut number three that sit back and enjoy the greatness that is Brandon. In the other corner, you've got Joe Biden. And what's Joe Biden got to show for his time in office? Well, he's got $35 insulin and Medicare drug price negotiations for the first time. He's got canceling a lot of student loan debt. He's got, oh, getting rid of junk fees. He's got the biggest climate package in the history of the world and is paid for by my 15% tax on billionaire corporations. So to me, like, there it is. There's, it's not like there's a bunch of mush and not a nickel's worth of difference. Man, the difference is huge. The contrast is huge. And I think that's what this election is going to come down to. The Regular Joe Radio Show. Welcome. I don't think I said that. Uh, I'm just looking at an email claiming that I said that giving money to the Ukraine is the same as giving money to the Taliban. Now, I mean, I could have short-term forgetfulness, but I don't recall ever saying that. Not today or not ever, because I, I don't view them. See, I actually view the world with a little more nuance than most. I don't, just like I think giving money to Israel or providing funds or providing weapons and selling weapons to Israel is different than Ukraine because one is an official ally of ours, whereas another is not. Uh, and again, I've been very clear <clears throat> that I believe Ukraine has every right to defend their sovereignty and maintain their borders. I just don't think we should write an open check. I don't want to be the world's bank or the world's police force. And I don't think that's our role in the world, especially when we are not doing the things necessary to secure our own border and provide for the own the common good of our own people. That has got to be priority number one. We have no problem sending $65 billion to Ukraine, but we haven't built a wall. We can't close our own border. We can't stop the flow of sex and drug trafficking over the southern border. Now the northern border is becoming a problem. And we're sitting here dithering on how many billions of dollars to send to another country that we don't have the money for? We don't have this money. We are borrowing money, paying the interest, and on the hook to pay back the principal for another country. Where in the world does that sound like sound economic policy? I mean, we make fun of people like, oh, well, they took out loans to put their kid through college. What are we doing if not the same thing at a much higher level? Well, the, 
suddenly the Ukraine are our dependent children living in our basement. We're just going to pay for everything. That money, those billions of dollars, we're paying for their retirement. We're paying for their police departments and their fire departments. Do you realize that? Are you really okay with that? I'm not a, a, a cheapskate. Look, hey, if you want to do it, man, write a check. The, trust me, Zelensky will take any check you give him. Does It could be $5. He will absolutely gobble it up. But there's got to be a limit. We are not an open check to the world. And nor should we ever be. That doesn't mean, again, everyone, oh, that means you're for or against. Rah. No. Look, we've given them tens of billions of dollars. You realize that we have given, if you take all the money every other country in this world has given them, and you take all of that, we still trounce those other countries by tens of billions of dollars that we have given them as one country. So stop yapping at me that, oh, we got to do more. Why don't some of these other countries, you want NATO's worried? Well, how about the NATO countries start coughing up some money at a much higher level? Again, we'll come and defend them if we have to. That's our agreement. And that is not me saying, oh, you must really be in the bag for Putin. Nope, nope, pretty sure. I've always said very consistently, Putin, a bad guy. I can be against Putin and also be against writing checks we can't afford to cash. I mean, imagine if any one of us could live like the federal government. We just keep writing checks and buy stuff, and there's no money in the account to cover it. None. There's a promise that we can tax our people enough over the next 10, 20, 50, 100 years to eventually pay back this money that we're borrowing on the good faith that we're hardworking people. I mean, again, if that sounds like sound economic policy to you, have at it. I think it's a recipe for disaster. And if we're going to make every decision based on the what if, if somebody does this or that, and again, I don't put it past Putin. I believe if Putin, I, I absolutely believe that if he feels emboldened enough, hell, I think if he wakes up one morning with a wild hair up his arse, he would be willing to go in and try to invade a NATO country. I, I don't have a high opinion of the guy. But again, that doesn't, that doesn't translate into, well, let's just start borrowing tens of billions of dollars to give away. If it's such a worthy cause, why don't they go to the communist Chinese and get on the hook for these tens of billions of dollars of loans? It's one of our primary lenders, among others, that we borrow this money from. For goodness sake, I get, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm reacting to an email. Just to be clear, for those just tuning in, it says, Joe, you said giving aid to the Ukraine is like pouring gasoline on a fire. Well, yeah, to some degree it is right now. We're the ones on fire. That's the thing. We're going deeper and deeper into debt. I have been very clear. Putin's actions, wrong. Ukraine, sovereign borders. Ukraine's government, fairly corrupt. Zelensky, don't trust him further than I can throw him. Those, those, I can have all of those beliefs, and they do not conflict with one or the other. In the beginning, I was far more open to helping him. Go back and listen to the shows. My patience has waned as I watch tens of billions of dollars go down the drain into what is what, what's happening. Right now, Ukraine is losing ground. I mean, look through the BS. They're losing ground right now. Now, in part because they're running out of weaponry and they're running through people. I mean, this is. And this, I'm not saying they should give up either. I'm just saying. 
We've got to look at it for what it is. <clears throat> and we should never apologize for making the American people in our country number one on the list. Always. I mean, I believe in giving to charities and supporting charities, which I do. But if I was a father, I'm sitting there going, well, I can give this money to a charity, but I won't be able to feed my children next week because I'm going to be cash poor into the next pay period or whatever it might be. That'd be a terrible decision. It doesn't make me a great guy because I'm starving my kids. I got to take care of what's most important. What I have been charged with my number one responsibility as a father, my number one responsibility is my family, my wife and my children to protect them and provide for them. Everything else must come second to that. That's my role in this world. And so it is for the United States government. Their number one role is to watch out for the greater good and make sure their citizenry is being kept safe and secure. None of that is happening right now. We are writing checks that we can't cash around the world while ignoring our own major issues. And the way you fix that is you stop funding other things. And if the world falls apart because we can't bankroll everybody with money that's not even ours that we don't have, well, then there's a bigger problem that needs to be looked at. If the NATO countries are worried, and they should be worried, by the way, then maybe they should step up a little more. When you combine everything they gave, we gave more. All the way over here, across the pond, here in the United States of America. Doesn't mean we can't help people. Doesn't mean that there's not justification for helping people. But you can't justify just writing check after check. This latest check is more than what we spent fiscal year 2023 on the United States Marines. Explain that to me. When it's going to pay for all these ancillary expenses, explain how that works in your mind. That's a good thing. Now, as to the Taliban thing, I'm pretty sure I actually never said that giving money to Ukraine is like giving money to the Taliban. What I did point out is that the rise of al-Qaeda, the Taliban taking over in Afghanistan, is directly relatable, related to the failure of Brandon with his botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. I don't think that's really a disputable thing, but maybe you do. This is under the header, by the way, Ukraine derangement syndrome. I have no derangement over Ukraine. I'm very clear about what's at stake for them. I'm it's clear it's what's at stake for us. I put us ahead of Ukraine. That's not a derangement. That's called ordered thinking. Perhaps those that want to put Ukraine above the United States that are U.S. citizens. I mean, look, I'm not a big fan of everything being a derangement syndrome. It kind of loses its punch. But it doesn't, doesn't translate. But, hey, I appreciate the email. Now, to finish commenting on old Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> so Mary said, not only is Pocahontas unrelatable, but she's delusional. She's been fooled. And no one can convince her otherwise. That's Mary from Texas. Well, yeah, I mean, no kidding. She's sitting there bragging about a 15% tax increase on the rich. That he's forgiving college debt, which actually was technically it was ruled to be illegal, but he's flaunting the law and that there's $35 insulin. Now, I guess to the unwashed, that all sounds really good. Except for no debt was actually forgiven. They're shifting the debt to other people. Those people aren't very happy. That $35 insulin, well, that's why your test strips, your pen needles, the actual needles, all those things went up. Now, do you think that's a coincidence that 
when they mandated that insulin had to be a certain price. And I'm look, I don't support price gouging. I support competition. I support the fact that the, if there wasn't an eight hundred million dollar pay for play scheme in place at the FDA, which approves approves these drugs, none of them would cost as much as they do. But that's one of the reasons they cost so much. And it is pay for play, which is illegal in any other in the old days of radio. DJs would get paid to play a record and make it a hit. That's out. That's again. You could lose your license for that. It's against the law. It's pay for play. Well, in the United States Food and Drug Administration, when you're seeking approval of your drug and you want that approval to happen quicker, you pay a fee. Were you aware of this? It's no more complicated than this. I mean, it's expensive. It's hundreds of millions of dollars. But you can fast track approval for a certain dollar figure. That sounds like pay for play to me. If it takes, I don't know, 10 years to approve a drug. But suddenly, if I give you $800 million, you can approve it in three to five years? How's that work? If nothing else, you're just paying to get it out there. <clears throat> but guess what? I mean, the normal approval process unto itself is hundreds of millions of dollars with all the, the, the different red tape you have to get through. But then they add this cost onto it. And guess who ultimately pays that price? That's right, you, the consumer. So this idea that when they just dropped the price on one thing, it didn't affect anything. If you look at your bill, if you're a diabetic, your co-pays and the actual cost of the items that are ancillary to the insulin, like pen needles and test strips and even the machines, that's all gone up. Because what happened? They forced the price down, so they're making up the difference other places. I mean, this is it's like rent control in New York. Well, I can get this this place for two hundred dollars a month. You have to play the exact same apartment next doors five thousand dollars a month. Yeah, because they're making up the difference. So I mean, yes, she's living in a in a fantasy world, and she hopes that others will join her in her fantasy world. That's what makes it kind of fun for her. I mean, after all, she still maintains that she's an indigenous American, even though that has actually been disproved by her own blood test, the one that she took. But that's okay. She's not the only one. Benny Thompson. Now, you remember Benny Thompson, congressman out of Mississippi? He was, again, part of the big J6 deal. He sat in control of the J6 committee. He's, he's downright surprised. He doesn't understand how anyone still thinks that Donald Trump's an option. Cut number four. I'm not surprised, but I'm really disappointed that there are still so many people in this country who somehow see this person as a viable choice to be the Republican nominee for president of the United States. Well, he doesn't understand it. You know who's also confused about all the complaints about Joe Biden? Leatherface. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Representative Debbie Dingell, better known as Leatherface. What I think is that Joe Biden needs to be allowed to be Joe Biden. When I, I was with him a couple of weeks ago for eight hours, and he was the Joe Biden that I know. When he is talking to people, he is energizing, he cares about issues. He's Joe Biden. And Joe Biden, there's nobody better than Joe Biden. I think the campaign needs to let him get out there and be who he is. And, and I also am sick and tired of everybody talking about his age. When you listen, look at the age of Donald Trump, which is only a couple of years younger, who's got 91 uh, felony accounts against him and goes on rants that make no sense. 
Well, so she is upset and tired of people bringing up his age. Well, I've warned you, don't talk about the age. It's mental acuity. But you know the irony of this, right? You have a 70-year-old member of Congress, I mean, rather sprightly when you consider it. She doesn't want people paying attention to the age of Joe Biden. Why? Well, because she doesn't want people starting to look her way, figure out why that, how old is she? The Regular Joe Radio Show. They're wrapping up. So we are minutes away from Hickey Nailey's State of the Campaign speech. We'll be watching it. See what if that, I mean, to be honest with you, here's my, I, I haven't talked to anybody on the campaign. I'm not pretending I have any, any super secret knowledge that I'm, I'm sharing in a veiled way. If I were to guess, I don't as much as I was looking at the comments on Facebook. There's a lot of good comments on that. Uh, so again, the best one, by the way, Beth Ann, I think she wins. She said, she's announcing she's running for representative Mike Gallagher's seat, which I just struck my funny bone. Cause that'd be, you know, two, two peas in a pod. Uh, she's, she wouldn't win that either. Uh, but either way, uh, there's, there's a, uh, one bird, Mike said, uh, let us pray, but he spelled lettuce as in like the, the vegetable, uh, Nikki be gone. Uh, a lot of people think she's going to drop out. I don't, I don't, th- I mean, I would be excited, to be honest. I'd be happy if she did. I don't think that's it. I think this is nothing more than, a, and I, again, I'll be happy to be wrong on this, but I think it's just her coming out. She's going to trot out her tired old talking points about how she's going to be there when they cart Trump off to jail, and she'll be the last person standing as she tweeted the other day. What was that ridiculous tweet? that uh, apparently nobody thought to read it through carefully, uh, where she said, 12 fellas down, one to go. Uh, You know, the rah-rah traveling underpants sister thing, whatever, you know, send the woman in to win, that nonsense. I think it's going to be all the same old tired talking points that she's been using. You know, and I think what she's hoping is that when we're days away from the South Carolina primary, where she was the governor for two terms, and according to her, was wildly popular, but she's down by more than 30 points in her own home state. So this is, to me, I think it's a faint move where she's going to just try to gin up some more attention. Maybe she'll go crazy and say who her running mate would be when she's nominated to try to get more excitement out of the crowd. But if it's Sununu, <laughs> well, that'd be a snoozer. Uh, But we'll see. We're minutes away. We'll be talking about it tomorrow, I'm sure. Plus, what's going on in New York City at St. Patrick's Cathedral? That's something we got to get into. Between now and then, ladies and gentlemen, don't look to them. Look to us. In the mirror, we the people. We have 259 days, all hands on deck. Our time, our talent, and our treasure. And most importantly, we must live life boldly. See you tomorrow, everyone. Regular Joe Show.